0: Hello and welcome. Is your business your mission and your mission your business? If yes, you found your tribe. Whether you feel like it or not, you are avant-garde, going your own way, making your own path, doing it like no one has done before. And the answers to the challenges you're facing aren't in a book. My friend, you are not alone. This is the Avant-Garde Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Trisha Bailey, a mission minded serial entrepreneur and traveler. My purpose on this earth is to use my authenticity and passion to equip and empower social entrepreneurs to live in their highest calling, feeling freedom, fulfillment, and security, and inspiring others to do the same. Join me for stories, tips, and tricks for taking avant garde inspired action in your business so that you feel encouraged, equipped, empowered, and unstoppable. I believe it doesn't have to be hard to be right. Welcome to episode 44 of Avant Garde Entrepreneur. I am so glad you're here today with me, my friend. Today, we are kicking off a two-part series on what I call the new groove of business. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the hustle. And even when you have a very noble purpose of empowering people to lift themselves to a better way of life, it's so easy to get caught up in the stuff. And when I say stuff, I mean the emergencies that happen the minutiae of business, the emails, the calls, the projects to move forward. And God forbid, we actually remove something from our list. And I'm talking to myself here as well. In episodes 42 and 43, we learned from two experts about investment readiness. And the goal of that series was really to expand your minds about what's possible in terms of larger scale financial partnerships and to increase your understanding about what you can do now to begin preparing yourself as a candidate for investment. But aside from the technical things that we learned from Don Simmons and Jeff Schaefer, our guests, We also learned the incredible value of taking time to recharge and having trusted people in your life who have permission to speak into your life when you start getting a little too far out of balance. These are two people, our two guests, who have lived in the extremes and they have seen it in others as well. And while the being is something they're both sorting out for themselves they know that the end of the spectrum they know what that looks like and they don't want to be on that because it leads to one thing burnout so as you begin mentally preparing mentally wrapping up this year it's hard to believe it's the end of the year and preparing for the next i'm bringing two very special friends on the show to be that voice in your ear, besides me, that gives you permission to really slow down and get clear on what's really important to you. And I mean you, not your team, your parents, your kids, your beneficiaries, or your business, but you as a person. Our first guest today is my good friend, coach, and podcast producer, Jenny Saraswati. Yes, Jenny and her team at Jenny Media are the reason why this podcast even got off the ground to begin with and also gets out consistently. I just love her so much as friend and as a fellow human that I often forget her many accolades. She's the host of two podcasts, The Jenny Show and Pod Pops. She's been featured in some really famous publications like Rolling Stone, Entrepreneur, and Fast Company. And there are so many reasons that I could have had Jenny on the show. You would not believe the questions that I had that I thought to ask her. She's an incredible multiple business owner, coach, leader of a multinational team, and a tech quiz that's on the cutting edge of trends in media. But what I want you to hear from Jenny is not about what she does as much as who she is and the mindset she carries that helps her navigate it all. I feel like Jenny really has this gift of being successful in business, but not letting it run her life. And my guess is that by listening to Jenny, you're going to give yourself permission to slow down a little, and you're probably going to laugh out loud. So Jenny thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you, my friend. That was a beautiful intro and I'm equally as excited to be here. And I'm like, wow, that just, I'm like, I want to be her friend just after <laughs> you um, You said that too. But your intro about talking about the various stages of business that I felt like you were speaking to me there. Like I know this, this, is, this was for the audience as well. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's that's so true. But thank you for having me. I'm delighted to yeah. be here <laughs> on the other oh. side. Oh,
0: I've been so looking forward to this. This Is going to be so much fun.
1: Yeah, it already has been fun.
0: (laughs) So, Ginny, give the tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up?
1: This is an interesting story, Trish. I feel like kind of gloss over this part in a lot of the interviews, but because this is avant-garde entrepreneur, I feel like we can give Sri Lanka now the center stage, right? Yes. (laughs) So (laughs) I was, uh, I was born in Sri Lanka. So my family, all from Sri Lanka, my parents were born in Sri Lanka. They're from different parts. So I was born in Sri Lanka, but I was raised in Australia, hence my adorable accent. So When like being born into this family, my mom was actually the breadwinner. My mom worked at a bank. She had the privilege of going through education. She graduated with honors at a university. And my dad was a clerk. He didn't actually finish high school, but it was very rare to have the woman be the breadwinner in the family. But in my family, it was a case of my mom. And so growing up in Sri Lanka, I was just this little curious girl just running around the streets In Sri Lanka in the 80s, it was safe to actually run to your neighbor's house, sit on the veranda and pretend to read the paper like I did. Because I was just (laughs) curious, right? I was like, I'm just going to run away from my family who are annoying me and not letting me be me. So I'm just going to go read the paper as you do. And then I got the devastating news that we were moving countries and I was very upset because... Nobody asked for the two-year-old's approval to move to Australia, but we moved to Australia because my mum's family were migrating over there and there was a civil war brewing at the time in its early stages, which, you know, the civil war thankfully ended back in 2009. But I moved to Australia and it was interesting navigating being part of this very Sri Lankan family with their values and traditions and then moving to a country where it wasn't safe to run to the neighbor's place you'd probably get called the cops on if that happened. But um, it was a very different adjustment for me um, moving to Australia. And it took me a while to kind of settle in, get used to how people look different. Because, you know, through a two-year-old's eyes or a four-year-old's eyes, as I was growing up there, I'm like, people look different here. And then it gets to a point where, like, you're just used to it, right? You forget that you're different. And sometimes, even though you forget that you're different, it's still you're still reminded that you are different with with certain parts of yourself. So that's where I grew up, Trish Sri Lanka and Australia, Melbourne, Australia.
0: <laughs> so we might actually this podcast might actually trend in Sri Lanka now that we've had
1: someone <laughs> say that beautiful country's name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe. Maybe. She, like, oh she's Sri Lankan. Yes, there are Sri Lankan women entrepreneurs that exist. <laughs> Hopefully, <Nice>. more nowadays. <laughs> Do you ever get to
0: go back to Sri Lanka? I,
1: I actually went back when I was 18. So that was the first time I went back since we moved to Australia. My my parents, well, my dad had gone back pretty much yearly and my my sister went there a couple of times too. But for me, it was the first time I went to Sri Lanka. And one of the things I really appreciated was my mother had this rule when we moved to Australia. She said, you will speak English at school. You're obviously going to get taught how to speak English at school and you're going to be learning the language. But at home, you speak our native tongue, which is Singhala. So, I really appreciated that for a number of reasons, because when I went back to Sri Lanka, I could actually communicate with my mother's friends, the relatives, and there was a connection point there. We could talk about things, I could experience the culture and learn about the culture in different ways and back to the roots of you know who I was and and where I mm-hmm. came from and I think the other thing I appreciated was going back to Sri Lanka, being raised in such a my mother you know putting the Sri Lankan and singular values in my sister and I. A lot of the comments we got from relatives was that, oh, you don't seem like a foreigner. And I'm like, I (laughs) consider myself a foreigner. It's like your hair is still black. You know, I don't, I think they expected me to like shave my head and have tattoos or something. And, or I don't know what foreigners do, but they, what they said was like, you don't actually look like a foreigner. You can still speak singleese. And that's something that they were really happy to see as well. Mm -hmm. So I do want to go back there. I know that now it's, uh, that it's gone through its troubles financially and economically, but I, I would love to go back there and, and kind of see how it's, how it's changed over the last yeah. 35 years, you know, since I was, I probably couldn't run next door Trish um, and sit on the you neighbor's couch. I'd probably get, I'd you probably get probably the, the same one, thing. Probably, and they like, who is this large adult woman sitting <laughs> on this chair? I probably couldn't do the same thing. And I, I think we have different neighbors now too, but yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll have to see. I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> This is kind of be so
0: important to, you know, I think about, I grew up in the same, you know, spent most of my years in the same town, but when you, especially as you get into adulthood in your twenties and thirties, and you're really kind of cementing your identity and yes. who you are, you know, where you came from is such a big part of that. So that had to be really helpful for you, not only to grow up with your Sri Lankan values, but also to be able to go back. And just have that consistency.
1: Exactly. I think also the the consistency of it, and also it. Sometimes it's it's a part of your culture that you can't ignore. Like when your mother is constantly feeding people, and you know there's aromas coming out of the place when you have friends over. They're like, "Oh wow, <laughs> this is you're reminded you're Sri Lankan, even though you try to escape it." It's like, well, we can, we can smell the chicken curry. I'm like, okay, <laughs> <this is> fun. <laughs> oh, it's so fun.
0: So you you made it from a small town in Sri Lanka where you could run and sit on your neighbor's porch and read the paper, yep. and now
1: you live in New York City. <laughs> definitely can't run to your neighbor, and, and no, you can't porch. run to your neighbor. You don't You'll... have porches in the city, almost, <laughs> yes. and they'd probably call the poli- de- they definitely, definitely call the police. police. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 weird thinking about you know coming from a a whole country of twenty million people to moving to a city that has half that amount of people in there, right? When, yeah. when you think There's like eight to 10 million people here in New York City. It's a beast. <laughs> wow. New York. And, and I think the, you know, we recently just got back from London and when you experience different cities and, you know, their vibe, I guess, one thing that really made me fall in love with New York when I first came here was, and this sounds cliche, but there is a vibe, there's an energy. Now there's things that come with that vibe, energy and creativity, like rats and smells and interesting (laughs) characters. However, like the energy, the diversity, looking around and seeing different cultures. We were just walking to get coffee today and the little preschool, you know how they make all the little ones walk in a straight line Mm -hmm. while holding this piece of string? You just saw different kids from different Mm -hmm. backgrounds and they were all getting along so harmonious. And it's just so lovely to see that. And then obviously sometimes you walk past and you see a dead rat. You're like, okay, this is this is New York. But it is an amazing city, Trish. And I think the images, it's a very photogenic city, I think. Mm -hmm. But the energy, I think, isn't always captured Mm -hmm. until you come here. It's such an amazing city in that way. It
0: seems so glamorous when you, of course, you know, what we're seeing is from not TV so much anymore, but from media and movies and YouTube. And it seems like so glamorous and something that so many people aspire to it's like the dream for so many people does it feel like obviously you have that that high energy but does it just feel like home to you just like uh, I don't know how to say it If, if people unless people are watching me on YouTube they can't see my face but just this feeling of contentment and like your space
1: That's a great question, Trish. And I love that you asked that because every time I go back to Australia, if I refer to home as New York, there's a sensitivity about it. My family's like, what? Australia's not your home anymore. Mm -hmm. And then Australia also feels like home too. And I think I've come to realize that home always isn't a zip code. It's Mm -hmm. a place where you have the love and the foundations and familiarity and a place where you feel safe. So I think in terms of, you know, living in New York full time, it is a home and it's my main home um, now. It's it's where I pay taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when I go to Australia, I feel like I'm home too in Melbourne with my family. And I'm sure when I go back to Sri Lanka, there'll be remnants of home as well. Obviously, maybe not things that I can do when I did as a kid, but I think definitely the thing about, the special thing for me about New York is that it's the first home I've really grown into myself in. And um, I think that's what makes the city and and this place so special to me it's the first place i've been able to really go all in on my mm-hmm. dreams it's i've been able to really grow into who i was and leave all those restrictions behind that i thought i had to have and mm-hmm. there were some family values there too that i thought that i think for some time as beautiful as the sri lankan culture is i think there was a part of me when i was growing up especially being a gay girl as well i'm like you know in sri lanka it's still a criminalized act Right. Mm. You get 20 years imprisonment for being gay. Oh, wow. So, so I think there was a part of my culture growing up that I was kind of forced to embrace because my mom's like, we're doing this now, or this is what we're doing. And then another part of me where I kind of rejected it because I'm like, this means I can't be completely who I am. And coming to New York, as I said before, there's all sorts of characters here. They really embrace individuality here. And I think that kind of gave me permission to be like just go all in on what you want to do and who you are and i think that's that is the beauty of the city here yeah. it just gives you a permission to just just be you just be in yeah. all its glory
0: <laughs> you know a friend of mine we were talking the other day and she mentioned something that really resonated with me she she said not going to get the words exactly right, but the context was: we live based on what we think we want all these years. And then you get to the point where you realize, I don't actually want that. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like that's what New York did for you. It gave you that space to just breathe and be who you are and let go of what was not really for you anymore.
1: Yeah. Cause I think in a Sri Lankan family. It's often talked, and I joke about this too, there's three career parts, your doctor, lawyer, or engineer. And it's funny, like we all make fun of it, but the reason why it's those three career parts is those three career parts were guaranteed affluence. It was also guaranteed success and also gave what I call our brown people something to brag about. It's like, well, my <laughs> daughter's a doctor and you know, brings our marriage credibility up by 400 points. <laughs> um, but I, I think When you look at those career paths, you kind of feel, you're like, okay, these are my options. But then when I'm a certain person, I, thankfully, I'm not a doctor. I don't think you'd want me operating on you. I wasn't very good at science. I didn't particularly like science. I am not smart enough to do any of the things the amazing doctors do. Engineer and lawyer, you wouldn't want me defending you in a courtroom. I'd just make jokes and (laughs) you wouldn't want that at all. But I think when you are presented with those three kind of options, you're like, oh, well, if I don't fit into any of those three, what what do I do? And I think if I thought, okay, if that's the path I have to go down, it kind of was giving me this sense of, oh, I don't know if this is for me. And then I worked nine to five for Corporate Australia. Again, didn't really feel like me. And I think coming here and just doing what I wanted to do with the freedom and the way I wanted to do it, I'm like, this feels more like me. I can just lean into my day how I'm feeling. And creating that freedom for myself. And as cliche as it sounds, I think, you know, when you think of remote work or starting your own business, a lot of people start their own business for freedom, not because they're like, oh, I just want to, you know, do what I want whenever I want it. That's, that is one part of it. But the other part of it is the stress that it eliminates of needing to be somewhere at a certain time for someone dealing with corporate. There's so many things involved. And I think. Yeah, moving to New York was one of the things that helped me realize, hey, there's another way of working that works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the only way of working that you've been shown.
0: I think that a lot of the listeners can probably identify with that because many of them becoming a social entrepreneur is not the thing they talk about when they're three or five. Yes. It's also the doctor, lawyer, engineer.
1: Yeah.
0: And many of them have chosen a different path than what their families would have wanted for them, probably their marriage credibility or their dowry went down. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but they chose it and they I think a lot of them sometimes have doubts, especially on the tough days of like, wow, did I really uh, did I do the right thing? And I appreciate you sharing that part of yourself because I think it will be, I think it's encouraging for people to hear
1: that yes. path. I think the other part of it is the kind of cultural I don't want to say ancestry, but there are cultural traditions, beliefs, expectations passed down. And it's obviously history plays a part in it, options for women, different things play a part in how you're raised. Like you can only work with the tools you're given, right? And I think that limitations sometimes are placed on cultures that are that are in developing countries for that reason. It's like, mm-hmm. I almost feel guilty wanting something different. And that's like a whole other thing you've got to work through, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I want to do something different. Why do I feel guilty? Even though this feels right, there's this constant guilt. And sometimes yeah. even now at even being in this for a few years now, Trish, I still feel guilty. I'm like, Oh, it's still there. Like mm. it's a lot less guilt than it was five years ago, but there's still that element that creeps in. Like I need to be there more for this person, or I need mm. to do this more for this person. And you've got to come back to center and be like, this is not what is most aligned for you.
0: Yeah. 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 So first of all, you were in Australia and now you live in New York and you started Jenny Media. Can you give us a little bit, can you bridge the gap between what was happening in Melbourne yep. and your life now with Ginny Media?
1: Absolutely. So in Melbourne, I was doing a radio show on and off for 10 years. So mm-hmm. I knew I loved radio. That was one thing that was a consistent in my life. It was great because I got to meet different people, connect with different people, go to these crazy events, which was awesome because You really got to be a reporter, right? You got to speak to, I got to experience a New York City Pride for the first time. It's interesting because it took me, New York City Pride, the first one I went to took seven hours and it was still going, right? took me 45 minutes to get to that Pride event where I had to do like roving interviews. Mm -hmm. The Pride in Melbourne went for 45 minutes in total. So the time (laughs) it took me to get to New York City Pride, Melbourne Pride would have been over if we did that. So it was like a different experience for me. So I, I I knew that I loved. I was naturally a curious person. I I loved hearing people's stories where they came from. Because you know I came from a different place to end up to where I was. So I was always curious to hear about people's stories, why they are who they are, and how they got there. And so that was a consistent at the time. But on the side, I was doing my day jobs, which was I was working for um commercial radio in Australia as an account manager. So I was looking after ad revenue wasn't very me. And I think I was trying to fit into a corporate success mold that I was like, okay, so I can't be a doctor, lawyer, or engineer. I'm going to go the executive route. And an executive route wasn't, it didn't feel right for me in the context that I was pursuing it. Right. Uh, I think I was, the responsibilities was one thing, but also just the, it just wasn't me. And I was very unhappy. I remember waking up every day thinking, I have to go to work. And I remember going to bed every day going, I have to go to work. And that is a horrible feeling. To start yeah. and end your day like that every day, I have to go to work. That dread. Mm. I remember waking up going, When I quit this job, I never want to feel this way again. And, mm. you know, I worked through different things. And when I quit corporate Australia, I was like, I never want to wear a suit again. <laughs> it's like I never want to do this. And I quit and the I it took me a while to kind of find my feet. I um Worked at a deli. I worked at a trampoline park. These are all fun jobs. Like I was like, Mm -hmm. I got to work with kids and jump on trampolines every day. Like that was a dream job for me. (laughs) You know, I got to be around deli meat. I could make myself my sandwiches during (laughs) my lunch break. This was a lot of fun. But then I I worked at an aeroplane construction company for a few years Mm -hmm. as I was getting back into radio because I was a little bit lost there for a while. You know, my my mom got really ill. She started developing early stages of Alzheimer's and we mm. had to kind of organize care for her during that transition period. So it was a little rough for me trying to, one, figure out my life, but also the role of parent and child has switched mm. with my family oh, yeah. too. So it was yeah. it was a time for me. And I, and I think that was what kind of propelled me to be like, okay, now mum's settled. Okay, you now got a stable job. And this job was great because it was shift work. I could clock on, clock off. I wouldn't have to take work home with me. And I could do my side hustle, which was podcasting and uh, producing podcasts. So over those years, I built clients bit by bit. So I had five clients and I I moved to New York because I thought I've always wanted to live there. And, you know, I've been there a couple of times. I love the energy. I love the seven hour (laughs) prides. And I think (laughs) what I also really love was it's such a media capital. So I moved over here with five clients, and that's what started Ginny Media. And now we have amazing clients like yourself, Trish, over the the past six years, and, and that's oh, that's how I'm here now.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. And you had to be on the cutting edge of podcasts. I know they've gotten more popular recently, yeah. but if you moved here six years ago, that means you started it before. Was your family like, what is a podcast? What are you doing? They,
1: at the time, I used to joke going, I sell radios. That's what I do, just to uh-huh. make because they're like I don't get what podcasting is. It's like it's like on demand radio to mm-hmm. your phone. I tried to explain it in many different ways, but I think selling radios was was what i what I wanted to do.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for you, you know i you kind of mentioned this a little earlier. Entrepreneurs start businesses for a lot of reasons. Did you feel like you had the entrepreneurial spirit, especially I, I kind of consider you an old soul if at two you're yeah. reading the paper? have you always had that kind of independent bent or was it more kind of a means to an end? Like, this is the way I can not have to go to bed and wake up dreading my day and
1: wearing a suit. I think it was all the things that you mentioned there, Trish. I think I didn't plan on being an entrepreneur. I I stumbled into it, if anything. I just knew in my heart of hearts, waking up with that feeling of I have to go to work I have to be in a car, stuck in traffic, go to work, be at this meeting, which is pointless because we're just talking about how many times people have sneezed. Mm -hmm. We go back to work talking about how we sneeze. It was just the mundaneness and like, this just doesn't feel right to me was Mm -hmm. really what was at my core at the time. I'm like, wouldn't it be nice if I could have a bit of flexibility, if I could actually take myself to the gym and then Mm -hmm. come to work with a fresh mind, feeling like I've taken care of myself. And I was thinking, you know, wouldn't it be nice to not be stuck in traffic? Would Mm -hmm. it be nice to work from home? Like these were 2010 thoughts of Ginny at the time. It's funny, like we're in 2023 and kind of the norm for people from working from home, right? But I remember 2010, I was thinking those things. I'm like, I've got to sit in traffic, pay tolls to be on this highway Mm -hmm. (laughs) to get quicker to a place where... You know, I'm not actually getting there quicker. So why am I paying these tolls? All these things were in my mind and I just knew I wanted another way of working. So I tried the shift work. Shift work was great for the side hustle stages. Mm -hmm. And then when I moved here and I went all in on my business where I woke up, took myself to the gym, always building my kind of self care. I felt that I showed up as me Mm -hmm. and. I worked the way that worked for me and that has brought success. So I'm like, well there's something that's working here, right? If I'm mm-hmm. make financially if you look at the bottom line, the amount of time I put in to what I do now and then, you know, what I did back then and not even just financially, just how happy I am, mm-hmm. how light I feel. It's just exponentially I I never go to bed now going, oh, I've got to get up. Even though I probably yeah. have more challenges or more fires to put out than I did 10 13 years ago. I don't go to bed with that feeling and I don't wake up with that feeling. Mm -hmm. And that for me is, is everything because, you know, there was a stat that I read saying that people just live for the weekend. Mm -hmm. That means five out of your seven days, you're thinking, oh, I want it to be Saturday right now. And then Sunday happens. You're like, oh no. It's Monday tomorrow. I've got to start this all over again. So people mm-hmm. are really only happy one day a week for the rest of their. That's that's heartbreaking. Yeah, so that's what I kind of think that's about too. Like yeah. measuring your happiness, what brings you joy in life. Like if one day a week, that's 52 days in one year where you're truly happy. Mm-hmm. That makes me like that's heartbreaking. Um, yeah, and that's that is. was a life I lived too. So I know yeah. how heartbreaking it is. Yeah, yeah,
0: and that had to be quite a. Transition, thinking about from 2010 to now, because your mom was a banker and the breadwinner. That was your model of yeah. what people did, and she—it wasn't that she did it in Sri Lanka; she did it in Melbourne. So that had to be quite a, a mental and emotional and in every way a transition for you because that was that was what you were kind of wired for.
1: Yeah, and for. my sister became a banker <laughs> as a yeah. result because. And, it, it, they're both fantastic at math. It must yeah. have skipped me as a gene. Yeah. I think when it got to the second child, my mom's like, I'm out of genes for math. Only for I'm glad it skipped you. I'm <laughs> so like, glad it skipped you. It just you. skipped me completely. It's like, what <laughs> happened to the math gene with you? I'm like, you gave it all to Ashari. Um, but I think, but I, I think it was that stability and that status because my mm. mom wasn't, she was a bank manager. She was mm-hmm. exceptional with numbers. Even I remember growing up, She never used a calculator. She always would remember how much, you know, a packet of jello cost. She'd write it down and no calculator. She just added everything in five minutes, not even five seconds. It probably was. She was just very, very good at math. My sister is the same with, with finances. I have a bookkeeper. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's, that's what works for me. So I think, yeah, it's different when you're kind of carving out a path. And that's why I joke around with my family saying I sell radios because. To them, this is a new thing. It's like, what? Yeah. You sit at home and work all day. That's how you make money. What are you doing? Are you, you're in your pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, I am. And it's fun. <laughs> Jenny, do your hair. <laughs> <laughs> no, why do I have to do my hair? Exactly. It's like, you don't even brush your hair. I'm like, oh, no, sometimes I wake up, get my coffee and here I am here after I the am. gym in my glory. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This episode is brought to you by Avant-Garde Entrepreneur Foundations, where you can go from contemplation to clarity in just six weeks. How incredible does that sound? By learning to tap into the superpower of your spirit, you'll feel refreshed in your mind, certain of your mission, and inspired in your business. Go to trishabayleyphd.com forward slash AGEF dash waitlist for more details. You can also find the link here in the show notes. A lot of people from around the world, they see, so they see American media and they see like shows and there's this hustle, especially a lot of the movies that are kind of left over from the nineties that are retreaded. And especially when they see New York and, and they really think of like, you know, all the Wall Street movies and all this high flying housewives of, you know, there's Beverly Hills, all that, that stuff. So we seem... From people outside the U.S. looking in, we seem so hyper-connected and that, you know, a lot of people, it looks like we work more than play and that, you know, there, I mentioned this in the intro, there are a few people that I really admire that have chosen a different path. And I love that about you. And. At least from the outside, it just seems natural and graceful, and you just seem to balance your your business and your personal life. And I know that there's always another side, but I feel like you're a very authentic person. And I know that you don't air all your dirty laundry, but <laughs> you, know, you seem to kind of keep it in check. And that's really inspirational to me because it's easy for me to get caught up in the hustle as well. Yeah. So... When we are talking to people who get all this information from the outside and America looks like it's one way, what is your perspective on this concept of balance?
1: That's a great question, especially what you said about what the world sees of America. If you go back to the Eat, Pray, Love movie, I can't remember if Elizabeth Gilbert said this in the book, but... Yeah, you know, the Italian guy Luca Spaghetti. He's like Americans. You work <laughs> all week, and then you're in your pajamas all day watching video on the week, movies on the weekend. You're back to work. Like Italians just live for the the pleasure of living. And I was like, damn, that he's kind of he's kind of on the money in some cases. I'm not saying everybody lived this way. But this is also you know pre 2010 Jenny, But I think you know what you said there about the hustle culture. I think there is an element of. Sexiness that is put towards that culture, you know, the Mm -hmm. private jets, the chauffeur driven cars, the always on your phone on the way to some other meeting. Like the, I think there was an element of sexiness that was portrayed about that hustle. And here's the thing about hustle. I do think hustle, hard work, I think sometimes they're convoluted because sometimes you do have to work really hard to get where you are. Like it's not Mm -hmm. something that's given to you. It might take time, it takes patience. But I think sometimes where the lines get blurred is it's portrayed as you've got to be that way all the time for Mm -hmm. success. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where the difference is. If you look at any successful person, like I forget this coaching, I think it's called the prosperous coach or somebody, Mm -hmm. maybe it wasn't the prosperous coach, but there was, you see people living their lives like, how do they do it all? Mm -hmm. And chances are they have support. They have a support system helping them. You can't do it all on your own. And I think anybody who says, I did this all on my own, probably they did in certain elements, but there was an element of support that came in at a certain time. So I think for me, when I started the business, it was very much hard work and hustle mode and self-care was prioritized as priority number 15. Mm -hmm. But I knew very quickly from what my body was telling me, that's not sustainable. So I think what the conversation now should be like what you said, boundaries and balance and that sort of stuff. I think balance firstly is deeply personal. And I also think that for me, I've kind of called it quits on trying to achieve work life balance. I don't mm-hmm. think it exists, to be honest. I think mm-hmm. I believe more so in work life harmony because mm-hmm. I do feel if you have big ambitions, like I do, like, you know, running multiple businesses, if you have those big ambitions, there's going to be times that your business needs more from you than it does on any other time. So what does that mean for the other parts of your life, right? How can you sustain that? How can you be supported? It might be you don't go to so many social engagements because Mm -hmm. you're really focused on your business. So I've called it quits on work-life balance. I'm more about work-life harmony, you know, and there's times like recently I just got engaged. Like, there are moments where I'm going to be fully present for my fiance. Like it's it's just different. And I think as you go through life and as things change for you as an entrepreneur in in your personal life, you might have kids, might be getting married, you might be, you know, your family might want to come live with you. Who knows? But there are things that need will require attention more at different times. So I think trying to figure out how to balance it feels like I'm terrible at juggling. So I think for me that gives me anxiety of like I'm just trying to stand straight on this fulcrum, like with my core in and just trying to balance everything, it's exhausting. So I think it's just knowing when you've got to pivot and tilt and put your attention to where you need to. Like you've got to be all in when you need to. And sometimes that's what balance looks like, even though it may not be what it feels like. But I hope that makes sense. (laughs) It does. It does.
0: I I really like that concept of harmony. I talk about counterbalance, but I think... I like harmony better because it is true that you, it's kind of nice to think of harmony instead of hustle because it is hard work to build a business and you do have to make sacrifices and you are a little over fatigued sometimes, but when yeah. you know that that's just a season and then you're going to come back to, you know, kind of tilt a little bit the other way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's also the other thing I learned too was, you know, before I met my fiance and before she moved in with me, I could just be on my phone, watch a program during an ad break. I, I'll send an email. Right. That was just my norm. I'm like, And in my mind, I'm like, well, if you're an entrepreneur. This is time. And I'm thinking, I'm being highly efficient. But now I'm moving with my fiance. She's like, you're being present. And she's right. I'm not because I'm going back to work while I'm in this very present time with us. So it's that thing about being all in. And since then I've been, I've realized, oh, I I do this. Like Aliyah might go to the bathroom and I'm sending an email to a client because I'm like, I'm just getting this done. It's off my list. Ginny, (laughs) you're being efficient. But no, Ginny, you're also not being present. So I I now have a phone just for work. That's where clients can call me. That's where my Slack, my emails, my Asana, everything's on there. Mm -hmm. And that stays in the office when I go to bed at night. I don't bring that to our bedroom with us. It's just, You know, time for us. So I think there's changes that, again, you've got to pivot as to what is happening in your life, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we have kids, I might have to get up earlier. And again, Mm -hmm. that's a change. Like I might have to get up earlier, do my work, spend time with it, just depends where you're at in your life. And I think there's never this clean cut morning routine for everybody that, you know, you need to do to set up your day. It it can be just, hey, I'm just going to go for a walk around the block, have my coffee. That's my me time. It's Mm -hmm. honestly, it's just constantly changing, constantly adjusting because life is constantly changing and we're constantly adjusting, right? (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, so true. Well, first of all, congratulations on your engagement. I was going to bring it up, but I am so glad that you did. That is super (laughs) exciting. It just happened like last week or the week, yeah. Amaz- oh, are we the first or am I the first person that you've talked with about? You are it the here?
1: first person I've talked about. So yeah, Trish, Bye. very, very glad that you are the first person too. And thank you for your uh, congratulations. It, You know, sometimes when, when like these milestones happen, you're like, oh, I just got engaged. And then, you know, it's tempting as an entrepreneur. You're like, I've got to get back to that. So I'm like, but no, be in this a little bit. Like, yes. just got engaged. This is exciting.
0: <laughs> yes, I agree. I remember that feeling distinctly when I got engaged. The next day, I didn't even want to look at my phone because I didn't want anybody else in my airspace. I wanted it to be just me and John, no interference from anybody else. So I hope you take a few more days or weeks of that. Obviously, you can't shut everybody out because now that you're home, but, (laughs) but yeah, it's amazing and it doesn't come
1: around again. No, exactly. And I think that that's the thing sometimes too, that I found myself caught up in. I'm like, well done, you've achieved this next. It's like, no, no, stay here a little bit longer. Like, you know, be in it a little bit more and especially, you know, such a milestone, like getting engaged and finding the person you want to, you know, share the rest of your life with. It's it's a big decision. So be in that. It's it's like that just engage bubble. So I'm going to be here till it bursts.
0: (laughs) <laughs> They'll stay in as long as you can. Exactly. Just keep it going. <laughs> so you have a team that's around the world mm-hmm. and more than one business. And especially in media, you're kind of expected to be connected, I guess you could say, just because yeah. it's the nature of things. Yeah. And you also work from home or you can work from home. So how, especially now that you have, uh, I know that aliyah has been with you for a little while now, not very long, but how do you really, you mentioned about the phone, but how do you separate work and home? Like, you know, obviously we're going to, we finished recording here. You've got several other hours of stuff to do. What do you do to kind of, to stop work?
1: Right. That's a great, great. And I was just talking to Aliyah about this yesterday because living by yourself at home, again, I've got all this freedom and time. I can, again, like I can go for a walk in the middle of the day and work till 10. Obviously, when uh, Leah lives with me, that's always not possible. And obviously, we want quality time and that sort of thing. So priorities are different. But how do I stop? So I have a wonderful team around the world. And, you know, they are what keeps me supported to running this business But particularly my personal team, like my assistants, you know, even my team outside of Ginny Media, like my personal trainers, they are my team that keep me supported and accountable. So I know if I have a a 7am session tomorrow with James, if I am going to bed at three, he's going to kill me and I'm (laughs) not going to be performing at my best or what's the healthiest for me. It's it's impossible to go in at with four hours sleep. It's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say impossible. It's not sustainable to do that every day. So one, I have a team that keeps me accountable to ensuring that I remain nourished mentally and physically. Mm-hmm. So that means getting the amount of sleep that I need. So I think everybody needs a different amount of sleep depending on what they do, their body type, how they're conditioned, I know so I'm not a sleep expert, but for me, if I get six to seven hours of sleep, seven hours for me is is what I find. Okay, I'm good. I'm good to go. I don't feel groggy. It's that perfect time. If I get a little more than seven, takes me a while to kind of get back mm-hmm. into the day. So there's that. And also what you mentioned, the switching off part, Trish, like now that I have two phones, like going for a walk without my phone buzzing with Slack notifications, because my team are around the world, They they might message me at different times. Mm-hmm. But knowing that they, they're aware that I'm off at 5pm or I clock off at 5pm or some days I'll, I'll clock off at six, depending, but they are aware that, you know, I might take, get back to them early in the morning the next day or or that sort of thing. Any kind of red alert, they'll call me and it rarely happens, a red alert or something that's highly emergent. But for me, like going on a walk without a phone, that's my wind down time. Like Because mm-hmm. I think I'm very internalize, because especially when you work from home, you don't have that workplace where you're venting to someone, right? And if you have a big win, what do you do? Spin around on your chair and go, Yee! <laughs> But that, that's it. And you got to go to work, right? So I think for me, I need that decompression time, whether mm-hmm. it's like journaling, a walk, or just playing a video game, whatever it might be. That's what's really important for me to switch off. And I think, putting those boundaries in place of that's your work phone. It stays in your office. It goes with you if you go out somewhere and then it goes back into your office before you go to bed.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: like me putting my work to bed so I can put myself to bed. Yeah. So those little rituals that I create for myself, it, it keeps me nourished and supported. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I like that. Yeah.
0: I wonder, so for people who having two phones isn't necessarily feasible, but they probably have a computer and a yep. phone. Do you have a tip for like, like maybe the, a step in the middle of having two phones for people to be able to shut off?
1: This may not always be possible, but a couple of tips I have that's worked well for me is just setting expectations with your clients and your team. Just let them know when you're available. People will, and, and this is the thing with, with setting boundaries, right? You may tell people, hey, I only check email between 11 and 3 or Mm -hmm. 11 and 3, right? But if you're replying to the email at 4.30 and then they reply back to you at 7 and you reply back like what I was doing in between, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) getting my to-do list done, you're actually crossing your own boundary. Mm -hmm. So I think the first thing is if you set a boundary, like I'm not going to respond to messages after 6, don't. Mm -hmm. Because if you do, people will watch what you do rather than what you say, and they'll Mm -hmm. react to that. That's what I've noticed too. Like Mm -hmm. if I say to my team, I'm off at six or seven, if you need anything, I'll be back tomorrow. If I'm going back and forth with them and getting annoyed that they keep messaging me, I am participating in that interaction, right? So again, so it's very hard sometimes to stick to those boundaries because you feel guilty. It's like, I should be working. So for me, the phone thing was a very clear physical Mm -hmm. barrier. But for those people who can't do the phone thing, I would honestly recommend shut down your computer. And if you can, take your apps off your phone. When I'm on vacation, I try to take, I take Slack off my phone and I take Asana off my phone, even my work phone. I do that and I, I leave my work phone now at home. But when I didn't have a work phone, I took those apps off my phone because it's oh, a great idea. Yeah. Take those apps off your phone. And if there's absolutely anything on fire, there should be one person that reaches out to you. So for me, it's my assistant, Courtney. I I Mm -hmm. let my team know, hey, I'm out of office. Anything that needs my attention that can't wait till I get back, please let Courtney know. And Courtney and I have a system where we call it a traffic light system because it's fun with colors. Anything that's green can wait till I get back. Mm -hmm. Anything that's amber, she's not sure. She's like, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if this is urgent or not. And anything that is red needs to be done that week or that day. So she'll only contact me if there's red alerts. And if she's not sure, she'll contact me anyway. But that way, I'm not getting 10 messages from 10 different people. Mm-hmm. It's just the one person who's keeping account of what needs to come to my attention. So that really helps too if you have the luxury of that. I know another hack that one of my coaches taught me was that in her out-of-office message, she'd be like, any email sent to me during this time will be deleted. If they're urgent, send it to my assistant. Great idea. Exactly. because. <laughs> you know, you get back and you have 90 emails you have to go through. right? Yeah. So she left a message saying any emails that are sent during this time will be deleted, mm-hmm. either resend to me when I'm back or contact my assistant if it's urgent.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I think that's also great because it sets the expectation of no, I'm really uncontactable during this time. This is, this is really my time and I'm not going to be reading the email that you send yeah. during my out of office. So now there's lots of email scheduling tools. So if people really want you to get that email, they can just simply copy, paste, reschedule it to come the day that you're back. Um, yeah. So you get the email the day that you're back. Yeah. So that's also a really handy hack as well.
0: <laughs> Those are great ideas. Mm-hmm. So take the apps off your phone. Yeah. If you have a computer, hand a phone, turn your computer off.
1: Yeah.
0: Have someone, so I can see how this is really useful. Even if you don't, or have one person who's the point of contact and I can see, even for people who don't have an assistant, a formal assistant, whether it's a manager or right. a mom or a best friend or somebody who's that one person that can touch you, but nobody else. Yep. And then I love the idea of the email with rescheduling. Yeah, it's on yep. other people. They can reschedule. It's not, not exactly. that big of a deal. Because you've
1: told them, right? You've set yeah. that boundary and yeah. you've deleted it. And you know, I know that's, that sounds very, very clear cut because some of you might have VIP clients that you're like, no, I can't do that. Again, you make the exception for them, but the others that you're like, oh, this, this can wait. Again, that should really go to your, your assistant or your next mm-hmm. point of contact. So it's not sometimes as easy to do, but the important part, which I've said before is setting a boundary and sticking to it because people constantly the frustration with boundary setting is that like you set a boundary and then you cross your own boundary and you get mm-hmm. mad at the other person.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's and, and I think
1: That think happens to me still. Yeah. It's
0: gradual too, isn't it? I mean, you can yeah. set a boundary, but you might stray a little bit. You, I think over time, as you get more comfortable with yourself, yeah. you can set more and more boundaries. Yeah, exactly. To, yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I think you also, it's natural when you set boundaries to feel guilty. You mm-hmm. know, certain relationships that I have had in the past, friendships who like call me whenever they want, it's like I'm in my workday but I've picked up the phone and then I'm mad that they called me during the work day and continue to <laughs> like, yeah. do you think they're doing that. So I've just let them know, Hey, during the work days, I don't pick up the phone. I'll probably talk to you when I'm going on my walk or something. Again, it's it's just something that it may feel like, Oh, and I did feel guilty when I started doing them. I'm like, but what if they really need me? I'm like, well, mm-hmm. if they really needed you, they'll call you twice and it'll be urgent enough to have a chat about, Oh, I'm doing this. I have this great idea for you for a business. I'm like, Oh, <sighs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's an ambush. <laughs> I know, right? So it's like, okay, Judy. And oh, you know, God. the people please the tendencies, the guilt, they'll yeah. all come up when you're trying to set boundaries. Yeah. And that's the beauty of boundaries when you actually do set them and stick to them. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I, I think it so I'm just gonna speak to the listeners here. Jenny is so personable and so easy and so honest. She runs big businesses. So this is really great advice, really great perspective, Jenny. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. I've, I've loved this conversation. It's it's great to kind of get into the the weeds of what it's about, setting boundaries in yeah. you know, Sri Lanka Yeah. <laughs> also.
0: <laughs> yes. So when we talk about, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I have a few more questions, the things yeah. that I, I want to know for myself. And I think other people will like to hear too. We've talked about kind of harmony versus balance and setting boundaries. And I know that you want to have a viable business and healthy relationships, especially with your, your wife to be, what does success considering all this, what does success look like to Jenny?
1: That's a great question. I think success to me has changed a lot because I thought success was, oh, I run my own business. I don't have to work for a corporation. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm like, actually, no, that's, that's not what success is to me anyway. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, it's running a company with 4,000 people. Again, not what success is to me. I think for me, success is feeling a sense of freedom and peace. I guess a sense of contribution and adding value in those moments consistently throughout your day. I don't always feel that way, right? Mm -hmm. I don't always feel happy and light and peaceful. There are moments where I don't. But overall, that is the feeling that I aspire to that we'll use the word harmony, that sense of happiness, that mm-hmm. sense of presence. Presence, I think is the key thing for me. I mm-hmm. find that if I am present in every moment, if I am able to really be clear, really be intentional about what I do overall, not in mm-hmm. every moment, but overall, that for me is success because mm-hmm. I am not chained to anything or anyone. It's very hard to achieve though, Trish, right? Boundaries, yeah. like that takes a lot of work to get there. And I will keep working till I get there. But for me, I think success is it's funnily enough, I I thought it would be a financial thing. It's not a financial thing. Mm. I thought it would be, oh, you run a gazillion person company. It's not that. All these little accolades or these little titles. It's its nothing to do with that. Like people might say, oh, you're an entrepreneur. You you do these figures or this. Nothing to do with that. It's actually to do with peace, presence, people. The three Ps.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. Peace, presence, go. people. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. I think that's what to do with, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: You produce podcasts for some really famous organizations and people like Allure, the Siemens, Wired, Microsoft, yet you also produce for people like me and others who are, you know, not high profile, but we just, you know, have this message and we're called to share it and we don't know how it's going to happen. And it's probably not going to happen without you. (laughs) So So you pour in so much to us as smaller people while you still have these big corporations that you produce for. So what's your why? Why do you do it? And kind of what keeps you going on tough days?
1: I love that question. I've said that pretty in response to a few of your questions, Trish. But I think for me, you know, working for the brands and corporations, it's a lot of fun. They come with teams and ideas and there's a lot of budget sometimes Mm -hmm. to do different things on, right? So that's always fun. But I think ultimately, whether you're a brand or a small to medium entrepreneur or just a solopreneur or anything like that, I think it's overall what you want to achieve with your content creation, like elevating that message, that voice, that story, which you do so well with avant-garde entrepreneur. They're the people that I want to work with. Because I think for me, as someone who was Growing up quite shy about speaking because I had a funny accent and then I created another, none funny accent. And now I have a funny accent with a city of funny accents. <laughs> All about accents, right? I think for me, you know, elevating diverse voices, elevating stories, amplifying, you know, conversation. I think it's unfortunate we're in the stage of the world that we are right now with so much conflict going on. And, you know, my heart just breaks for humanity with everything happening at the moment. But I think the power of conversation is that if you are willing to listen, that other side of it, there's such reward. I think people with podcasting, and I always say this, the best podcast hosts are the best listeners. They're actually not the best speakers. They're the best listeners. Mm -hmm. That part of what I do is really, really rewarding. And I think whether it be, again, a brand whatever your size is in budget or or awareness or whatever, it's it's that message, that core message of what you want to achieve with that stream of media is what keeps me going. And I love being a part of that process. It's like, this is really cool. You're talking to different people from around the world about this, how they've come from, where they've come from to achieve what they have. And I think that's what keeps me going. The message, the story, the conversation. That's awesome.
0: (laughs) Jenny. Thank you so much. You absolutely make a colossal contribution to our planet. I can say that from my perspective, personally, you know, working with you and your amazing team, as well as the other people that you have ushered through this process of not just starting a podcast, but keeping it going. And that's not to mention all the other businesses that you do. So you make a huge contribution. And I am so excited to have you as a friend and to have you share your heart with us today.
1: Back at you, Trish, and thank you for creating such a space where I'm able to share um, so personally and authentically. So thank you and big love to you as well. Oh, (laughs)
0: thanks. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of Avant-Garde Entrepreneur. I hope you feel encouraged, equipped, empowered, and unstoppable. If you enjoyed what you heard, share it with a friend. If you haven't already, Subscribe, rate, and review it here on your podcast player. Questions, comments, or feedback? Connect with me directly at trishabayleyphd.com or on social at Trisha Bailey PhD. Now, you go and get back to making the world a better place. I'll see you back here soon.